Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 147 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Well, me and my old wives' tales. Who was it that predicted no more cold weather? Listen in for my excuses. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. And this week, I suspect I have to hold up my hands to everyone in East Anglia and possibly the entire UK and say, yes, it was probably my fault. I am referring, of course, to the sudden blast of icy cold weather that we're enjoying at the moment. My prediction using the Candlemas Day verse, fell absolutely flat on its face. Just to remind you of the verse again, here it is. If Candlemas Day is clear and bright, winter will have another bite. If Candlemas Day brings cloud and rain, winter is gone and won't come again. Well, Candlemas Day for me on the 2nd of February here in Norwich was cloudy and wet. Someone needs to have a word, because last night we had temperatures of minus 7 degrees Celsius. That's about 19 degrees Fahrenheit. And the word I would use this morning as I head out to the garage to get some frozen croissants to cook for breakfast is biting. I know I shouldn't be eating croissants for breakfast as I'm trying to diet, but, well, I'm making up for it by getting on the indoor bike and treadmill. And I have to say, currently... I'm managing six days a week exercise, so I reckon I can get away with the odd breakfast treat. Anyway, those of you who joined me on the Patreon Coaching Plus Zoom meeting on Wednesday evening will know I get distracted easily, so excuse me for wandering away from the beekeeping theme. We had a lovely meeting this week, actually, centred around questions submitted and loosely followed up with the topic of planning for the new season. And there were some really interesting ideas and thoughts. Next month, we're going to discuss queen rearing, and I'm putting together a short presentation showing some of the different methods I've used. So if you're at all confused by queen rearing, do sign up and come along. Details will, of course, be in the podcast notes as usual. Looking back at the recent week or so, I feel I've had something of a lucky break. Steph and I went out and fed the bees just a couple of days before the cold weather hit, and the colonies were quite active, strong and straight onto the fondant and pollen substitute. It's a relief to know that the colonies were able to gorge themselves on the food if they needed it just before this cold weather hit. The effect of the cold weather on our colonies is really interesting, and shows how they survived through the winter months while other bees and wasps have just mated queens hibernating away and waiting for the warmer spring weather before coming out of hiding. I see so many hibernating wasps tucked under the beehive roofs or hidden in folds of tarpaulin sheets that cover empty boxes in the apiaries. Our colonies cluster, and when I say our, I mean your colonies too. It sounds like I mean my colonies cluster, but yours might not. Anyway, I digress once more. All honeybee colonies will cluster when the temperature drops. I would say low single-digit temperatures in Celsius, 
Certainly, when we were out feeding, the temperatures were probably around 5 or 6 degrees, and the bees weren't generally clustered. That is, unless they're in trouble and getting quite small. I had one colony that appeared to be on the small side, and it concerns me that they'll be dead when I visit next time, such as the cold weather bean. Anyway, once the colony clusters, it forms a neatly packed ball around the brood area. Not tightly packed, but positioned in such a way as to trap air in between each other and keep the cluster nicely warm. A bit like penguins in those David Attenborough documentaries. The traditional view is that, just like the penguins, our honeybees move around in order to maintain the degree of warmth they need in order that they don't perish. And that would seem to make perfect sense. During my research for today, I read a paper that talks of workers requiring to maintain an internal thorax temperature of between 9 and 11 degrees Celsius in order to keep their flight muscles active. Below this, and the workers are no longer able to activate them and ultimately will probably perish. It's also well established that there are so-called heater bees. These workers engage their thoracic flight muscles to superheat themselves and thus share that heat within the brood nest area. Remember, developing brood needs temperatures of around 34 degrees Celsius. That's around 93 degrees Fahrenheit. This does take its toll on the bees and a colony will lose quite a large number of workers as the winter moves towards spring. I've also read of another reason our bees move around the cluster and I have mentioned it before. It's a need to hydrate and take on water. Workers in the centre of the cluster become dehydrated and need to grab a drink as it were. So they move outwards to the edge of the cluster where, if they're lucky, there'll be some condensation that they can drink from. Otherwise, they have to wait for warmer conditions before flying out to get a drink. Those bees towards the outside are better hydrated and so move towards the centre of the cluster. The whole dynamic of the honeybee cluster through our winter months is totally fascinating, I think. This is one of the reasons we need healthy, large colonies going into the winter. When you put all this research together, it makes for yet more reason to be in awe of our humble honeybee. One particular personal revelation we have here is just how well our colonies appear to have overwintered. As you may recall, I was quite anxious about how well or not the autumn feeding had gone. Thoughts of feeding too early, worries about having not fed enough, would the colonies be too hungry and devour all of their stores by November? And so it went on. Well, I have to say that so far we've seen none of that. In fact, the vast majority of colonies have been above average in size compared to previous winters, and we're seeing a lot more bees above the crime boards. Let me explain what I mean by that. Again, if you're a regular listener, you'll know that I use a wide range of different beehive types. It's a bit messy, but I really want to show the different hives in action and be able to make a judgment on each of them so that I can honestly say I've used it and I like it because of this, or I've used it and I don't like it because of that. Currently, we still have more wooden hives than poly hives, and the wooden hive uses a plywood crime board, whereas the poly hives have an acrylic inner cover. 
the plywood crime boards mostly have two holes cut in them. These are for using when feeding, but they can also have the traditional Porter B escapes fitted to them. It's an elongated oval shape, a bit like the shape of a running track if you're looking down from above. I'm sure you get what I mean. Anyway, as we've been visiting our apiaries and adding fondant and pollen substitute, it's been noticeable that a large number of the wooden hives with the plywood crime boards have been clustering close to and above the holes that are cut into them and spilling over into the roof space. Normally, I'd put a piece of thin ply over these holes, but in recent years I've not been doing it, as I have seen quite a few colonies with mouldy condensation issues, and I figured I would allow them some way to vent that moisture, and the easiest way to let it out is through the crime boards. Now last year, for certain, we didn't see anywhere near as many clusters spilling up into the roof space, and I'm wondering if this is down to the early feeding and an increase generally in colony size prior to the winter period. All colonies were treated with an Amitraz Varroa treatment again, and that was last autumn, the same time as the year before, and they've all had their oxalic acid sublimation treatment as normal. I like the fact the bees are high in the brood boxes and into the roof area. It makes it easy to feed without the need for an eek, whereas with the poly hives, I currently have no option but to use an eek as the clear cover boards don't have any form of feed hole in them. Maybe this spring, I'll drill a few new cover boards and put feed holes in them and then put a kind of cover flap onto it, something that I can flip open to give access, but when I don't need it, I can just flip it closed again. I know we're not out of the cold as yet, but looking at the weather forecast for the weekend and beyond, the temperatures are due to shift back up close to double figures again. Only just temperatures of 8 to 10 degrees Celsius are forecast, and the bees will break cluster and certainly feed on the fondant and pollen substitute, and no doubt head out on cleansing flights. This is fantastic news for us, as it gives the bees a chance to reset, fill up, and continue to work towards those warmer days of March and April. With those thoughts of warmer spring days come the inevitable thoughts of preparation for the new season, and of course, when will swarming start? Just thinking back to how the colonies have performed this winter, maybe performed is the wrong word, survived, looking at how the colonies are surviving this winter, it makes it difficult for me to assess the new queens that we introduced late last summer for this their first overwintered period. As you will remember, I've tried out some buckfast type queens for the first time in a very long time and wanted to see how well they worked through the autumn and winter period before being able to really assess them into the early oilseed rape nectar flow. Well, with everything looking so strong, I have to say at the moment, all colonies are doing fine, and not just the buckfast type of introduced queens. The real test will come as we go into the first nectar flow, and of course, temperament will be key too. If the new queens are as calm as they were late last season, and productive, then it will be a huge bonus for me. I don't mind the occasional grumpy colony. My thin nitrile gloves give a little protection against stinging, but not much. It's funny looking back at last season, because I can remember feeling bees on the gloves 
on several occasions, actively trying to sting, but not quite getting the angle right to penetrate through the glove, and my eyes darting down to my hand, and at the same time trying to work out how to put down the smoker, put down the frame that I'm holding, put down the hive tool, and somehow get the bee off the back of my hand before it finally gets through and stings me. Though I'm not a complete coward when it comes to being stung, let's face it, it happens enough times for me to know what to expect, but I'd still prefer not to be stung, suffering the consequences, and having the bee die on me. Something, no doubt, to look forward to. One of my concerns with introducing these new queens into the mix is the potential for any subsequent offspring queens to turn a little grumpy. Well, actually, a lot grumpy. I've certainly had experience of that before, and it isn't particularly pleasant. A lot will depend on the honey production capabilities of these new bees, and if they are successful, it will mean having to requeen every couple of years, and there, of course, are costs associated with that. So they really have to pay their way, or it will be back to my more normal regime of queen rearing and lots of culling. That's not to say we won't continue with our own queen rearing programme this year. I have a couple of excellent colonies I have in mind for egg donor colonies, and we have a range of queen rearing techniques to demonstrate on video for this coming season too. Finally, changing the subject a little, I'm really pleased to say that we can now supply the full range of honey pour equipment via our website. I'm busy loading up products onto the website over the next week or so, and hopefully we'll have the entire range of hive parts listed very soon. If there's anything you'd like specifically that you can't find, do get in touch. And of course, I have my product videos showing the hives in action, both on Patreon and YouTube. Oh, and we still have plenty of fondant available from my website, and all the links to the interesting parts of today will be available in the podcast notes. I'll be back next week, but for now, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Mm-hmm.